From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in powerful, revealing Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are power fantasies and game trailers. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Whose topics are these today? Uh, everyone's topics. Yeah. We all came up with them in our collective minds because uh-huh. <laughs> we are a hive mind and we make topics to get. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a bunch. We had a couple of topics that we wanted to talk about, but we couldn't figure out who actually wanted to talk about the topics. <laughs> we like own them. Yeah. So yeah. listen, long time listener to the show may recognize that whoever does our intro is the episode's host. Mm-hmm. And then the other two uh, poor schlubs have to come up with uh, something to talk about. <laughs> Um, and but we all came up with these together. But Martha uh, still got to wear the crown today. Yes, ding. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a crown sounds like. <laughs> so Stephen, you're back. I am. What? Uh, tell us about it. Oh man, it was really fun. Uh, I have. I think when I went to New York class, I was like eight or something, and my mm-hmm. grandma lived in New Jersey, so we kind of just went there in passing. Joyzy, uh, yeah, Joyzy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was it was a, uh, quite an experience. I haven't. Um, I was surprised at how much city was in New York. I mean, it's not that surprising if you've been there, but like, there's just so much city and no green, and I'm just so used yeah. to Minnesota. Did you go to Central Park? I didn't. No, uh, you gotta go to Central Park. Yeah, maybe next time. Definitely next time. If you're like an urbanist, like I am, mm-hmm. like that's the thing that makes you believe in cities. That there, there's that Central Park exists. It's ah, like, okay. Because I mean, New York is just you know concrete, like you've noticed all over the place, but there's still like lush nature that can coexist. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Did you know that the guy who designed Central Park also designed the Minneapolis Park System? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, we're connected. <laughs> I mean, it makes, I'm not sure exactly how related this is, but Minneapolis <laughs> is constantly rated as having the best park system in the country. Um, we have so many little parks, uh, you know, per capita in the area. So. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so cool. off topic there. You yeah. went to sorry, the Game Devs of Color Expo. <laughs> yes, I went to the Game Devs of Color Conference, uh, and I had a good time. It was on that Saturday. It was in Harlem, mm-hmm. um, and I figured out where city was in. <laughs> 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 um, and so, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was an all day conference, and it was really cool because I, I mainly went to talks, which is kind of different for me. That's, I normally that's new for you. Yeah. yeah, right. I don't normally go to talks a lot, but there were a lot of interesting things. Most of the talks were. Um, there were uh, mini talks, uh, so they were like 10 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and so they, they had them in sections. And I went to a, a, quite a few of those. Um, Aubrey had a talk, mm-hmm. which was really good. Um, actually, they were all recorded, too, so y'all can check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have to uh, put a link on there. Um, so Aubrey had a talk, and then Ava was in a panel. I also yeah. went to a couple of panels, and two, um, and she did a good job. Yeah, everybody. So, yeah, we'll try job. to, friends of the show, we'll try to dig up their appearances yes. so you can see them as well. Yeah, um, I want to give a shout out to the organizers because it was very well done. And I think that, like, it's only been around for, this is the third year that it's been around, mm-hmm. um, but, like, it's expanded dramatically even since that last year. Um, I think everybody was really satisfied with how it went. Uh, yeah. I oh. saw a ton of presence on Twitter. Yeah. So it seems like, uh, from just from attendees, not like official marketing stuff. It seemed like people were having a great time. It yeah. was really well received. So yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, my brother showed off uh, Hyperdot. I almost called it anti piracy. My brother <laughs> showed off Hyperdot <laughs> at the, at the uh, the conference, and he uh, got a lot of uh, good press off of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got to play the play date there. The play date was there. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's basically just a little tiny Game Boy with a crank on it. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting and neat but like it felt like a novelty because especially because of the crank the crank makes you feel like that's the whole thing about it it'd be kind of cool if it was just like a little tiny portable thing and there's a bunch of indie games on it but it's got a crank so you got to do something with that i'm really excited about that thing yeah like it like the ouya before it i don't have a lot of confidence in its ultimate success yeah do not care (laughs) want one want to make games for it yeah sure yeah they did announce i don't know if they had announced it in the past but they did say during the conference that they're going to release the sdk for people oh rad rad. um and so they i talked to the, the representative there and she had told me that um, they haven't figured out all of the like pricing details and stuff on how to get your games onto the to, the platform, but mm-hmm. I mean they're in talks with it, so it, it, yeah, news coming soon. One of the things I know that they have said publicly is that um, uh, you will be able to just sideload your own stuff on it. So oh. so they will have they have their own store and they have a process like it's a little mini console, mm-hmm. but like a mobile phone, you can just make stuff for it and put it on your own thing. Okay, it should be okay as well. She did not describe that to me, so that seems <laughs> to be too. <laughs> Yeah, um, that was a cool thing. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Swim Sanity. 
Uh, I think that game is coming out at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played it. Uh, I talked to the, the developers. It's really interesting because I talked to these developers at E3, and they are also two brothers <laughs> who are working on this game with their friend. Yeah. So they're just like, two brothers. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's just a consequence of two brothers find a friend, work on a game. It has to be under the sea. <laughs> I guess. It just made just a confluence of events just makes it so. Yeah, yeah. It is also, it's a multiplayer arena thing, so it's it's competitive instead of cooperative. Okay. So it's a little different from ours, but yes, it's still C-themed. <laughs> um, but yeah, that game is, I believe, is coming out at the end of this month. Um, I'll link to that too uh, in the show notes. Uh, yeah, all that stuff is really cool. It was just a great conference. I'm planning, I, I would like to go again next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a good cool. time. One day trips like that seem like a good amount for a conference yeah like conferences are so draining and yeah. so difficult ultimately worth it mm-hmm. but i really see the appeal of a one-day affair yeah it, the one thing about it though is because it's a one-day thing there's just so much stuff packed into that one day so you can't see all of it right so, like i went to a lot of talks i didn't end up going to play a bunch of different games and stuff which mm-hmm. was unfortunate but uh it was still cool mm-hmm. yeah and then i got to spend one day just touring new york which was neat i went to uh i went to the times square area Mm-hmm. which you know it's Times Square and there's a lot of ads yeah <laughs> um we went to this line store thing I I guess it's a chatting app or something that people use it had mascots I didn't understand it um <laughs> we moved on from there <laughs> I did go to the Nintendo store yeah which is cool um I enjoyed it but like I uh I had and I went to Nintendo's headquarters in Seattle so like I, oh so it's all, uh, just whatever. I was like it's cool I mean Reggie isn't there so it's, can it really be good Did you see the Gulf War Game Boy? I did. Okay. That was cool. That was really cool. That's that's that. that's the only thing you can't see anywhere else. Yeah, that's the highlight. I think yeah. that was great. Um yeah, that's a really satisfying thing. If if people haven't heard of it before, it's this the Game Boy that had gotten it the, a bomb went off around it uh, in the Gulf War mm-hmm. and it still, yeah, yeah and it still works it still functions and you can see it's still functioning yeah. it felt like it was on it's deathbed though when <laughs> I was watching because it, it was just strapped into a bunch of stuff <laughs> yeah it like runs a demo yeah. under glass like yeah. 8 hours a day which mm-hmm. I remember when I saw it almost a decade ago oh wow I remember thinking like how long can it just run every day like that but yeah. like they just believe in the hardware yeah but I guess it's finally getting a little faded <laughs> it just it just seems like it's on life support <laughs> 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 but it's really great mm-hmm. yeah but it was a fun uh conference if 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 uh you are planning on going maybe next year i would i would recommend it highly mm-hmm. that's so awesome i'm yeah. glad you had a good time <laughs> yeah it was fun um in other news you got some widget satchel fun yes coming? so in a recent episode uh we talked with ellen about uh marketing um and about what we were planning to do for widget satchel and um the the news we didn't talk about then um, because it was a little off topic, is that um, while we are self-publishing Widget Satchel in most regions, we do have a publisher lined up for Japan, ah. uh, which is really exciting because as an indie dev, it's very difficult to self-publish in Japan if you're not from there. Right. Um, and that's true in a couple of other places as well. And there's lots of interesting reasons why. And I say interesting because it's no longer a problem for me. <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, And I want to I, I get into them on a future episode. But um, just the short story is... Widget Satchel is going to be out in Japan. It's going to have support um, from a publisher. Worker B is the name of them. They do a lot of, they take a lot of Western games and bring them to Japan. Um, there's this whole cottage industry of companies that do that. And uh, they're one of them. I had a really good talk with them at GDC when I met. And the uh, conversations continued. And um, they're uh, going to take it. So uh, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, um, uh, I'm, we're just getting translations started now. And so yeah. all that localization work that I put in uh, last year is sort of starting to pay off. Sweet. Um, so yeah, really exciting stuff. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting because you know there's a, there's a half a day time difference, and so communication is very slow back and forth, and uh, the language barrier is still there. Yeah. Uh, even though they all speak English, and so you know it makes you feel a little bit like a dummy. Um, but like it's still it's a little slower uh, than working with other partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's something you have to sort of build into your expectations. Um, but they have they have they have plans for the game, uh, and uh, they're gonna you know bring it around. And yeah, this is all, it's good. It's good to have something off your shoulders yeah. like that, and um, with a partner that you you know got on with and 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 believe in. Um, so that's really exciting. Yes. Oh man, I'm really excited about this. It's, yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> but what that really does is it actually gives me a lot more confidence to self publish everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, it, it, uh, I've talked about it in the show a bunch of times how Widget Satchel was really designed to explore all corners of game publishing. Right. And so uh, when we were talking to a couple of publishers uh, and we did get one offer um, uh, to publish worldwide, mm-hmm. um, uh, we were thinking like, well, 
you know, we put in a lot of work to set up with platform holders and we did a lot of the stuff that a publisher does. So we don't really need someone to do that plus marketing. We really just need marketing. Yeah. And so it became kind of a difficult thing. Like, well, uh, you know, one or the other, I don't know, it was a difficult for me personally because of my personal goals with this project, but I get to have it both ways now. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, cool Sweet. news. Yes. Exciting news. In uh, less fun news. Less fun news. <laughs> uh, we should have I, a theme song for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> less fun news. Ooblets. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm, you Ooblitz. may have heard of this before, but Ooblets is exclusive to the Epic Game Store now. Um, and so uh, that's not the less fun news. Right. I want to make that super clear because I think yeah. that's lost in this conversation. Yes. Uh, for people who don't know, there's been a big uproar of it. And, and people who have heard about it have heard about it plenty already. Um, but the thing that gets lost is this is not bad news in any stretch. No. Like, this is good for the developer. This is perfectly fine for the consumer. Nobody really loses in this scenario. And I think that a lot of even the people who defend Ooblets, especially against a lot of the harassment the development team has gotten, yeah. has been like, well, you know, there are legitimate problems, but like they shouldn't be yelled at. It's like, no. I think that's the reason they give permission for the toxicity is this assumption that a developer taking a deal to is fund a, their game is a bad thing for like uh, for that that the person who uh, the organization that funds them to get something out of that yeah these are all good things right and I think it's uh, we need to be very clear about as developers we should be very clear about when we make those choices to make those deals we do them because it's the in the best interest of our game and us as as developers mm-hmm. we should not have to apologize that yeah so that is not the less fun news right yeah the bad news is everybody was harassing the yes. team, development team because of this change right which has been happening for a while now when uh you know like metro exodus got moved from uh steam to shenmue, shenmue um, a bunch of games a bunch of different games um yeah and basically like they are getting funding to continue to develop their game and finish their game but people are complaining about it because you know it's now on the epic game store um and I mean, the Epic Game Store isn't like it doesn't have all of the features that the Steam Store has and all of this stuff. But mm-hmm. like, it's still the benefit is is that the developer gets to eat, <laughs> they get to work on the game, yeah. and live. Yeah, and um, it's just like two or three people. So yeah, like yeah. <laughs> stop it, guys. Right, the Ublitz team is smaller than the Widget Thatch team. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh yeah, that's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, uh, I think that's just, just a good thing because like you know they they get to keep yeah. working on their game full time, which is the dream. Yeah, and I mean it, it. I don't know why it has to be said over and over, but it has to be said over and over. Like exclusivity is a loaded word. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a PC game. It's still on PC. Yeah, you can still buy it on PC. Yeah, and the end of story. Like right. <laughs> that's right. that. You know, there's not really. Anyway, so it goes. Uh, Martha, as the Ublet super fan. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, what is your uh? uh what is your reaction? I just want Ubus to be out. Yeah. So, and that's kind of my whole feeling about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that's it. Uh, I want to play it. Yeah. I want to play it. Don't care what store it's on. I want to play it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's uh, make the game, please. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> well, you know, we. I mean, we're loading a lot of this conversation with the sort of the indie dev perspective yeah. that you know you shouldn't be. Uh, uh, but like you were saying, Epic Game Store as a as a platform, things like achievements and it, like it's just not as robust as Steam. Right. Like, it's that's just definitely true. Not only anyone's arguing that, mm-hmm. but does, Martha, does that bother you at all? Like even just a little bit, like not enough to make you you know, emotional, but like, does do you actually impact your feelings? Um, I mean, I would rather have it be on itch, but right. that's just me. <laughs> I want them to have the most money from my, from my right, thing, right. but, but if they'll get more money than steam. Yeah. That's, so. that's an interesting point that I think is, um, because a lot of it is about Epic, um, uh, funding de- t- titles, actually putting money towards their development. Right. The other benefit of working with Epic games is that, they have a much better split on revenues when they mm-hmm. sell your game. Uh, eighty something, eighty-eight to twelve, I think, is the split. I might be. Wrong. Oh, on, on Steam. On right. Steam, it's seventy thirty. Yeah. Um, oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, so it's really it's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And um, and what's great is that the more games that become exclusives, the more players have to go there. And like this is, you know, maybe people don't like that, but that means that Epic is no longer. It's now a reasonable uh, a possibility for developers who just want to go there of their own volition, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And no longer, I, I think that's the ultimate goal is for there to be a robust competitive marketplace yeah. of storefronts. Right. Um, whereas if it was just Epic offering better terms but had no customers, then what was the point? Right. But a lot of the work they're doing that people are upset about is making it so that 
developers can just choose to go there without needing to sign a deal and because they offer better terms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see if we get to that point. Yeah. Right. Competition is a good thing. Yeah. But Stephen McGregor, 2019. Ub- <laughs> One of the things I haven't heard about the Ublitz story is that Ublitz was going to be published by Double Fine. Oh. Yeah. And, I was also wondering about that. And when Double Fine was purchased by Microsoft, all of Double Fine's publishing projects uh, were released. All their contracts. Uh, oh, were, no. Were, yeah. So that was a, a couple of months ago when they announced that. Yeah. Because um, Double Fine uh, is, you know, their developer, but then they started a publishing arm. Right. And I think, I think they have published a couple of games, but it wasn't the biggest part of their business. But Ublitz was one of the games they were going to publish. And then when Microsoft bought them, I think part of that was that they, they worked out, uh, um, I think that um, it's very common in, these, in contracts that when a company that you deal with gets bought out, then you can dissolve the contract. And I think that's what happened. Okay. Um, that Microsoft wasn't interested in operating like a sub-publisher and wasn't interested in taking all of those projects and publishing them themselves. Yeah. Um, and so that's what happened. Then they, they declared, we're going to self-publish. And by then, they probably had a lot of, um, you know, they had enough press and enough attention that they probably wasn't so, so dire news. I'm sure they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But that's what made this epic offer really attractive to them in a time when the rug had been pulled out from them. Yeah. So, and I, very few people are talking about the sort of the story, the history I of the project. Yeah. So that's good to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of nuances. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, this is a good thing. Yeah, it's, that's the end note. In <laughs> um, other less good news, less uh, good news. Right, yes. uh, the government is blaming video games for shootings and such, which has happened which in is, the past. Has been proven again and again to be yeah. untrue. Right. Violent video games do not cause violence. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a difference because I think um, we on this show have argued that games do impact the way you feel mm-hmm. and impact how you think. Right. And it's incumbent on developers to um, to to put in their games things that they want out in the world, right? But that's different from saying depictions of violence will cause you to commit violence. I think, right. it, and people tend to mix those up a little bit. Like, well, how can you say they don't cause violence, but you say that they do contribute to sexism, for example? Yeah. But those are not arguing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case here, this was really more of a reflexive, like a couple of government uh, uh, employees got, a, got on a microphone and said, uh, video games, uh-huh. it, just because it's the script. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's th- there's no legislation pending. <laughs> like, right, it's just yeah. one more little thing to just throw onto the. It's, every time that uh, a, one of these shootings happens, it gets part of the conversation. What's interesting this time is how quickly everybody, from gaming press to enthusiast press to like a mainstream press like the Washington Post, just immediately said, "No, it's not true." Right. I think we've, we're at that point finally, and that's kind of nice. Yeah, um, but, but also a little sad that it's still part of the reflex. Also, at the same time, video games are kind of a distraction from the main point. Yes. Um, so that's the that's my whole problem with this whole thing is that like it shouldn't even matter, right? There's a there's a bigger problem here, and I don't want to get into it on the show, but yeah, it's not that kind of program. But <laughs> right. no, ultimately, you're right. Yeah, uh, that's exactly the reason why it's still a problem. Yeah, um, even if it's not the same kind of problem, it mm-hmm. always has been. So that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, in cooler, better news. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Since. Violent video games do not cause violence. Mm-hmm. We can use them to live out some of our fantasies for having lots of power and being very powerful yes. and sometimes shooting things and beating things up. Right. Because <laughs> that can be really fun when you're not actually hurting real people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So this next topic is power fantasies. Uh, yeah. and uh, We want to talk about this, I guess, because like, I don't know, it, it's something that um, it, ta- it has been brought up a lot of times in video games, um, um, and I guess it's a little bit timely now, but also, I don't know, they're sometimes cool. Well, also, yeah. you know, we talk a lot in this field about, yeah. like, what what can be a game, mm-hmm. uh, and visual novels have expanded the definition of what a game is. Right. Um, the sort of walking simulators have expanded the definition of what a yeah. game is. Uh, even uh, high-end AAA games will include content that you wouldn't have expected to be sort of gameish. Um, you know, ten years ago, and so it's it's become. But the power fantasy is still the sort of original core idea of what a, a video game is about, right? And so, it, like, I guess we wanted to explore like how true that is, yeah, and uh, and why, yeah. Um, but like, it's interesting because like AAA games are still making power fantasies, but yeah. they've changed and morphed in a way that makes them less power fantasy e than they were in the past right um maybe you should define what the term is before <laughs> we keep talking about it like this um so I, I typed up a little definition here uh in games it's an experience where the player has an 
perhaps unrealistic ability to manipulate their environment in a way that makes them feel powerful and important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it basically, you know, there's like a bunch of enemies and you get to shoot them and they barely do any damage to you and you feel really powerful. And that, you know, it's cool. It's cool sometimes. Um, so a lot of a lot of AAA games, especially like your Call of Duties and your Battlefields and your guns shooters, mm-hmm. uh, they oftentimes will have these kinds of you know they'll, they'll have this power fantasy thing. Um, but like, it feel like it's morphed a lot of um, in a lot of newer games now, where like there's narrative and story that makes you like sometimes you lose that power and sometimes like you have to earn it back or in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, like God of War, for example, you know it's, that's a huge power fantasy thing where you basically just get mad and kill a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, in the new one, you still get mad and kill a bunch of stuff, but like you have a son and you got to make sure that your son is okay. And there's a whole bunch of drama and stuff that happens because of it, um, because of all of your son being there and things like that. Boy. Boy. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Dad of boy. That's what I should have called. <laughs> um, um, so there's been a shift in, in games. Like, I think more people are more interested in like some narrative aspects of it. And mm-hmm. power fantasies don't, they can, but they don't tend to lend, lend themselves well towards uh, impactful narratives. Yeah. In a lot of ways. They're like, you know, uh, blockbuster action movies in that like, you don't go to an action movie to 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 cry. You go to an action movie to feel like there's a bunch of action and stuff going on. I don't on. know. A bunch of people talk about how much they cried watching Avengers. So <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, I can't talk because I cried to the turkey movie. So, <laughs> But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Wait, the one where they like go back in time and yes. have pizza at the end? Yes. Oof. <laughs> But George Washington Turkey sacrificed himself for all the little turkey chicks. Mark, spoilers. Sorry, everybody. Spoilers. <laughs> Is that how Thanksgiving worked? <laughs> I've seen that movie. I do not remember that. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie, but I kind of want to now. <laughs> take, take a kid. <laughs> it's, the only, okay. it's the only way. <laughs> um, so power fantasies are oftentimes used as like an escapist wish fulfillment sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're uh, methods of like... Uh, expressing frustration and stuff too because mm-hmm. like you just get to beat up on a bunch of things and uh um and then they're not going to do anything about it because yeah. you're too powerful um and but sometimes it's that's not nice. always about i mean it's called power fantasy but yeah. it's not always about being able to beat up someone yeah it's, it's being able to know that know what the results will be of the thing you do yeah so like if you're spider-man mm-hmm. and you're beating up a bunch of guys you actually still quite a bit of risk that you're going to get taken down right but everything you do has an expected result yeah and that's the power mm-hmm. right it's the that uncertainty we have in real life, that, that's what gives us fear. But in a game system, even if we're not certain of the outcome, we can we at least understand the possibility space. Right. And that is a, a type of power that, that I think is really more important than saying, like, I'm, I'm big and bulky and have yeah. all the guns. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And that's, that's why a lot of games a lot of times work well for this kinds of thing is because like, we, we create systems in which there are rules and set systems in place that players can understand um, and then you know, use those rules to do what they want. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say as a counterexample, the goat goat simulator, but that has rules too. You can't really die, so you can just try anything. You might yeah. not know what's gonna happen, but you know it's gonna be hilarious and weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the expected result is you won't die. Yeah. So you can do which as you please. I think the power fantasy there is that you're funny. Yes. <laughs> which yeah. isn't true of all of us. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um. Um. But I think that a lot of times with Power fantasies, like they tend to get a bad rap a lot of times because they're associated with like, um, I'm going to use the term alpha male here, yeah, um, because um, it, toxic because, masculinity, right, and those kinds of things. <laughs> um, and and to some extent, it's not inaccurate. Like a lot of these things, a lot of these games tend to you know lend themselves well to those kinds of things. So they're like, sort of cloaked in that aesthetic. Yeah. So like Duke Nukem, for example, um, <laughs> is that. Um, whole thing, yeah. um, but just because like you're playing a game with as a uh, for power fantasy stake does not necessarily mean it is an alpha male sort of uh, thing. Mm-hmm. It could just be a game where you know uh, there are a lot of explosions and stuff, and it's cool explosions <laughs> and exciting, <laughs> and um, that's it, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. So like it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but because of the way that like power fantasies are built, there um, and especially because of like historically a lot of times. Um, um, underrepresented groups or something tend to be like bad guys in a lot of situations. The groups you're fighting against or you know um, um, enforcing all your will against on these things tend to be the things you're fighting against, and it tends to you know be a bad message. Yeah. Uh, because like then you're you know then you're like 
fighting against oppressed peoples and things like that. And that's right because I think a lot of these narrative fantasies require you to be a re- relate to the character, and what that ends up doing is, unfortunately, it means that the character becomes the sort of like quote unquote standard white male yeah. that the developer can be assured will be more relatable to its larger audience. And even that by itself is incredibly damaging right. um, to like the message we send to people about what, what is relatable. Right. Um, and then as a result, then those people then go off and fight, you know, the battles that those people would fight. And yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just be conscious of that. That stuff has changed. Yeah. Somewhat. Uh, not all the way, but like, you know, we're, we're all working on it. I hope it's, um, um, it doesn't go without notice any longer. Yeah. Yes. That's something. Mm hmm. That's good. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe we should talk about like what kinds of things to put in your power fantasy to make it, you know, make it work, make it feel, mm-hmm. make you feel powerful. Um, explosions are pretty much, I feel like they're mandatory. If <laughs> 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 these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and you know, it's important to make sure that the player feels important and powerful. So, um, I mean, you can maybe make it so that like your character is, uh, larger or just like cooler than every, all the other, mm-hmm. you know, enemies or things you're facing against. Um, and make sure that like your enemies um, are easy to kill in a lot of cases um, because like then there's just a bunch of um, fodder and things. I think a lot of times with like um, beat em ups, like especially like combo beat em ups, like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta, mm-hmm. they oftentimes tend to be like power fantasies. Yeah, because like it was uh, like Destiny Warriors or whatever that game. Yeah, is. yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's a great one. Uh, Dynasty Warriors. Dynasty Warriors. Yeah, like that one is just uh, like there's unrealistic numbers of enemies. Yeah, but that's not what it's about. It's about the sort of the racking up. The sort of so many constant, yeah, yeah. It's that game's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's super simple. And like newer ones, they try to add a little bit more complex complexity. So they'll add like a rock paper scissors esque system to yeah. it and things like that. And like you don't even really ultimately have to care about the, the 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 way those games feel is very similar to mobile games mm-hmm. that have like lots of like uh you know uh repeated rep you know the sort of like a constant gratification yeah um it's a very similar kind of yeah. idea right it can be relaxing in a lot of ways right that's um, true. Which is, you know, uh, right. It's cool. sort of dull, bland, continual. Like that's that's part of its design. That's part of its strength. Yeah. In fact. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's a it's a good thing. I think. I, anyways, I really like those <laughs> games because like you just get to yeah. like you kind of droll through all of yeah. them, but like it's great. <laughs> Martha, are you, are you into that? Yeah. Well, I mean, destruction is. I'm in the 99th right. percentile or whatever of liking destruction. Ah. So, yeah, I like all this sort of stuff. I like. Well, I like. I like games that mostly you're not fighting real people mm-hmm. yeah. like you're fighting aliens or you're fighting robots right. mm-hmm. or whatever um because i just don't like seeing images of real people but uh yeah it's into or like very cartoony yeah, yeah sure um, but i do like the explosions and i do like <laughs> the winning and i do like <laughs> the different guns and stuff yeah um it's very fun and like Wrecking environments and things. <laughs> right? Yeah. Borderlands has a lot of this kind of, you know, is a power fantasy in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. Especially since, like, your opponents don't get better guns. You just kind of wreck them with your fancy guns. Right, which right. Which is cool. And like, isn't the whole idea, like, the aesthetic of Borderlands is very much like, you're a big destructive force, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, it's very, it's still explicitly, like, it wants to unburden you of the complications of being a destructive force. Yes. <laughs> it does that on purpose in a way that makes, it makes that more fun, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah, and um, like the enemies always kind of respawn, and there's a conceit in the game. It's not explicit, but you get respawned by a thing. It's like that a corporation made, right? Like so, a Vita chamber, or something, exactly. Like call them in Bioshock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the oh, I forget what it's called, but anyway, they take your money and then respawn you. <laughs> and so you can just imagine that all the enemies, that same thing happens because they respawn. Right, okay. right. It makes so. everything more into a playground than a battlefield. Yes, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is like that those distinctions matter, right? Yeah. In terms of how the impressions and how the how it feels to be a player in those situations. And not everything is not every uh, war game is spec ops the line. Yeah. Right? yeah. Right. <laughs> like some of them have to be, but uh-huh. not all not all of them are, yeah. right? I also really like Halo. Uh, Halo was one of my first game like video games, like console video games I ever played because mm-hmm. there was this really great place in Minneapolis that is long no more, unfortunately. Um, called the Monsters Den, 
And it was basically just a place with LAN-connected Xboxes, and you went and paid whatever for the afternoon, and then you got to play with whoever was there ah. uh, or have a birthday party and like reserve the whole place. And so my friend had a birthday party there, and we played like 32-person Halo, like the, <laughs> what's it called? The game where you try to shoot each other. Deathmatch? Deathmatch, yes. <laughs> we played like 32-person Deathmatch, and I lost, but... All the, every time, but I had a rocket launcher and I got some choice kills and it was really fun. Uh, yeah, so that game's great. <laughs> that's an interesting question, though. Power fantasies in a multiplayer setting. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's that's fascinating because like I'm thinking of in fighting games, it can be a power fantasy when you're just wrecking face. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever I'm playing Smash, it's a power fantasy. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think that when you win, yeah. you feel very powerful, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, and I, I think that counts. Yeah, I'm thinking of like the best multiplayer experience I've ever had in my life is uh, GoldenEye, uh, Golden Gun mode, right? Oh, sure, yeah. One shot kills. Yeah, because then the value uh, is not if you can like sustain in a in a firefight; it's if you can sneak around and tap a guy. Yeah, like, yeah. That's I had a ton of fun with that, and mm-hmm. that made me feel good. And like I, I was probably better at it than a lot of my friends, but like they still got me a bunch of times. Yeah, and it didn't matter because I felt powerful when I was winning yeah. and I didn't feel not powerful when I wasn't. Sure. Yes, yeah. yeah. So you're just sharing it. You're not even sharing. And I guess everybody gets the experience. That. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, yeah, that's a good example of it. Whereas I think in a lot of times with fighting games, uh, like there, if you're getting wrecked, then you do not feel powerful. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Really yeah. If, yeah. If you can't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, this happens right. a lot with um, like the, you know, when I've played MOBAs, um, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, I got the hang of this, and then I hit that point where I no longer have the hang of it. Yeah, and at that point, I can't get past, you know the the brick wall mm-hmm. because it's a very complicated genre, yeah. and I didn't spend enough time figuring it out. So yeah. it's that moment of like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. I feel pretty good. Oh no, I don't. And then it's just like it feels really terrible. Yeah, and a lot of you know a lot of modern first person shooters like that online, especially with the competition that's available. Mm-hmm. Like even when you're ranked against you know uh, early players, if you're an early player and you're like really don't know what you're doing. And you can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different from just when like you're okay at the game and you lose sometimes, right? Right, and and so it it has the ability to make the opposite of a power fantasy. Yeah, so yeah. I think that a lot of these a lot of these games are they tend to end on the simpler side of things, or at least easy enough so that like you can get into it, and then like there might be more depth as you explore it more. Yeah, and so you can you know get better at whatever the game is and feel more powerful or whatever. Um, as a result, but I think that yeah, a lot of these games tend to have good like onboarding systems or something mm-hmm. in place so that like you can get into the game more easily. One exception I think is Mario Kart. Oh, where no okay. matter how good you are, you don't feel that powerful. Nope. Yeah, that's true. Right? I don't know why I don't like it? It feels <laughs> well. I think ra- like racing games probably generally yeah. are much more explicitly like inform you the player that you're on a level playing field. Yeah, that you're no better than the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a different kind of feeling. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Also good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Maybe not in the case of Mario Kart, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> not a huge fan of Mario Kart. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, like, yeah, it, I think, and you're right. I think a lot of racing games, yeah, they tend to be like level playing fields, and so as a result, yeah, you you don't you don't necessarily feel you don't feel more or less powerful than anybody else. You just feel like you're you know it feels more like a I guess legit competition. Right. Right. In right. That way. And then it unlocks different kinds of feelings that make you excited about like leveraging your skill and practice and all yeah. that, which other games do as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more easier to unlock that the fantasy in other types of multiplayer yeah. games. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I do think it's important, though, with, with uh, Power Fantasies to make sure that like the player is not bored while playing the game. So, like for example, in Dynasty Warriors, it's really fun to destroy, I don't know, 300 troops or whatever it is you do in that. Um, but like eventually then it gets a little boring because like there's not really any challenge. Yeah. Um, so like having small challenges to sometimes test the player um, is I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be doing that in your games anyways. What but. I like is an example of that that's pretty good is the Ratchet and Clank games. Yeah. They have encounters which have many, many enemies that are all paper thin, right? Mm-hmm. You can just waste them all. Right. But it has a begin. It has a is a narrative to it, a beginning, middle, end, mm-hmm. right? It, uh, and and they're all really well designed. I think that's a good balance where you still feel like you're just you know like carving your way through the universe, yeah. But at the same time, there's still sort of a challenge and a a, a situation where you've been you've been awarded the the sort of yes you you uh, uh, totally rocked this encounter, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't just sort of like it doesn't have that monotony that can be appealing in a, a Dynasty Warriors kind of game, right? I mean, another way to do it is to literally just change it up so that, like, you can do different things at a, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you're playing a beat 'em up and it switches to a shoot 'em up. Uh, that yeah. could be a way to, you know, get the player, you know, excited about the game again. 
one thing that can help with uh, the reason that that's helpful mm-hmm. is um, a lot of games are uh, they have lots of different strategies you can try. Yeah, things that will work give you lots of choice. Right. But we as humans are we optimize. So right. we pick the thing we know works or the thing that we or we know works reliably, mm-hmm. and we do that over and over again. Even if the game wants to encourage us to do more interesting things, so games can get much more boring based on like our natural desire to carve off all the edges, uh, eliminate all the uncertainty, yeah. and guarantee success. Yeah. And so developers should know that, that that's going to happen. Like mm-hmm. no matter how many fun options you give players, how many combos you give them the opportunity, they will still punch 40 times, then do a three-hit combo that will kill them because <laughs> it's reliable, simple, and it works. Yeah. And uh, the Batman games were definitely like this for me, where I yeah. like, it encouraged me to do a pu- bunch of stuff, and I was just like, nah, no thanks. Right, you know, yeah, and I don't think bat- I don't think the Batman games did a good enough job of like actually encouraging you to do these different things. Yeah, uh, because like, yeah, most of the time a punch would suffice in almost all encounters, and yeah. if you couldn't deal with it, a punch, you just walk around the enemy yeah. and then fight him. And ultimately, be the Batman was part yeah. of their campaign. Like right. that was really about a power fantasy in a narrative sense. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you came in from the shadows mechanically. It was so such a good way to express that stuff. Yeah. But if you didn't bother learning the combos because you didn't have to, it 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 it. it didn't feel as much like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one game that did do a good job of like making you do different stuff was Breath of the Wild because I remember mm-hmm. playing that game and like being like, "Oh, there's a rock here. I could push this rock under them," or "Oh, there's a explodey barrel down there. I'll fire arrow that and uh-huh. watch it, everything explode." And that's really cool. That game made me feel like mischievous and adventure, yeah. like like try things because I was, you know. If you die, you just respawn back somewhere. Yeah. And one of the reasons that worked so well is um, because there was lots of space between encounters. Yeah. And so yeah. you had time to think and you got bored on your way to a thing. <laughs> yeah. And so once you got there, you were ready to try something new. Mm-hmm. Right. So it had a different, because well, I think mechanically it's not that much different. You can just use the same technique every time if you want to. Yeah. But I think you're right that that game encourages you with its design to not do that. Yeah. Maybe because it, it's, like you're saying, it's using boredom as a mechanic. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, boredom as a mechanic. It's oh. like it's like a um, a resource that can be refilled and drained. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. Okay, I'm gonna write that down and maybe I'm gonna think on that. <laughs> That's fun. So I, yeah, it's important to sort of uh, force your players through one way or another. Yeah. Either specifically by forcing a game mode, or more sort of cleverly. By designing the, you're, you're doing your level design mm-hmm. to to encourage uh, players to play their part in maintaining the power fantasy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done, but yes, definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely something to make sure to do. Yeah. Um. Well, if uh, yeah, I feel like we ask this at all like uh, a lot of our topics, but yeah. like if you were to design a power fantasy, yeah, what would it be? <laughs> um, I don't know. I probably would make a beat 'em up. I really like I really like Bayonetta. Yeah. Um and so like I would probably come up with some kind of a really interesting combo system. Mm-hmm. I had some ideas. There was this, I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but I had that idea of sledgehammer bride. Um where it was a beat 'em up and you yeah. play as a bride who has a sledgehammer. Uh-huh. That's like the whole game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and so uh I wanted to like I wanted to design like a whole combo system and combat system where like you just always wanted to be aggressive and always wanted to hit people with your most powerful attacks because that yeah. would it would heal you in some way. I had, I didn't go through all of the thinking yeah. process because I didn't work on the game yet or anything. Well, what like, I like about that idea because mm-hmm. I think you explained this to me probably a couple years ago. Yeah, um, a long time ago. <laughs> it, what I liked about that is that the power fantasy is you're a character in a video game and all the normal tropes are there, mm-hmm. but you're more powerful than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. So it's the sort of like meta. Uh, context yeah it's pretty cool yeah and i think that's something that maybe you can't avoid now mm-hmm. is you have to um contend with the language of games and the familiarity your players have or don't have and uh you need to um you can't just give them what they had before because that doesn't feel as powerful as it used to right perhaps right um or, or maybe not maybe there is a consistent uh set that always works well that's right? what sequels are for that's why there's eight dynasty warriors <laughs> i suppose and like Spinoffs of Dynasty Warriors. There's Hyrule Warriors and the uh, Dyna- uh, what's the Dragon Quest Warriors and all these other warriors. Yeah, yeah. So it does work. <laughs> um, but that's I don't know. That's what I would do. Um, what do y'all have an idea on? I mean, I guess I was kind of thinking that Grandma Crime would be, as I've talked in a previous episode about uh-huh. my Grandma Crime payday esque game mm-hmm. uh, uh, with old ladies as a, in a gang, um, and I 
kind of wanted that to be sort of a power fantasy. Sure, like, yeah. like, you know, you don't usually see old women as very powerful. And yeah. I kind of wanted to flip that on its head and be like, no, they can do a lot of stuff to you if they wanted to. <laughs> right. So you don't see them powerful, but check it out. These are their powers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that. That's a great idea. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I tend not to think of that as the first motivator for designs that I do. Sure. It tends to, but I think, I think we've sort of demonstrated that it's, it's a consequence of game design, mm -hmm. right? It's a consequence of systems that have expectations and results. Yeah. And I think I'm very interested in that and having, I want the player, I, I'm, I don't like randomization. I, I want the player to have the more strategic and more abstract they can think about a system, mm -hmm. the, the better I feel as a designer. Yeah. And I think that, I think that does the job for me in terms of providing a power fantasy. I'd like to think anyway. Um, thinking about Widget Satchel, mm. uh, one of the things that, uh, that I, I uh, explicitly, to make the player feel um, like they have a handle on things, mm. or th th is, the, is the narrative. Yeah. Which is this idea that you're out there causing trouble, and every time we check back in with the humans in the cutscenes, the humans are like, what's going on? I have no idea. <laughs> it couldn't, you know, and then they, they mention Sprocket, our hero, mm -hmm. and like, where's Sprocket? I don't know. Okay, uh, uh, enough about that. Let's get back to the problems we're having. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea then is that you feel like you're, you're making all this mischief, that mm -hmm. like you're getting away with it. Yeah. And so, but the gameplay is not, um, is not exactly the method for that. You do get to knock stuff over and explosions. And explosions. That's right. <laughs> Thanks in big part to Ellen for, you know, demanding more and more of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the game. And so it's all there in the mm -hmm. mechanics. But mm -hmm. I think the way I think of it in terms of what I what brought to it that's different from a normal game like that is, the, is that narrative element. That's sort of like... <laughs> you know, that, that little, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I guess you've already done your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, think about like a, a like a think about like a, a Streets of Rage kind of style beat 'em up. Like sure. Some you know a guy in a tank top with muscles, right? Yeah. That's, that that <laughs> cliche. Mm -hmm. Like um, that's a power fantasy in the sense that like it's a the cliche works for it. I guess. Yeah. I mean that doesn't that doesn't. I mean we should be better than that. But like, um, but the narrative itself doesn't it doesn't um, acknowledge the power fantasy. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like that guy's just tough. Yeah. It's, it's just, he's a tough guy. That's sure. what tough guys do. Sure. Yeah. And, and so I think that, that I'm more interested in actually like making it, uh, using the story to make it sort of clearer instead yeah. of it just being like, cause otherwise it kind of feels unrealistic. Yeah. It's like, why is that guy so powerful? Like, why is he beating up 40 guys? Like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know? I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Having a, having the, I mean, we've, I talk about this all the time. You got to reinforce everything to make it like feel the way you want it to feel. Yeah. So the narrative should also fall in line with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I love the sledgehammer. The <laughs> sledgehammer <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the, that's the piece, right? Mm -hmm. That's what makes it powerful. And then grandma crime. It's this, it's the thing you didn't realize how powerful they were. Yeah. Yes. Right? It's all, it all comes from the, 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 the story and the setting. And I think that makes it more, I think it could stand the test of time a little better yeah. than some of the other style power fantasies, like the military shooters where you're the one military guy who kills all the enemies. Like, right. That's not how the military works. Right. <laughs> but like, it's, it's a convention of gameplay, but narratively, it's not really acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think that's important too. Mm -hmm. I didn't even consider that like narratively that like all of those things uh, oftentimes tend to not be related. And I mean, I guess that's part of why like we've transitioned into more like narratively, we've transitioned less into power fantasy things, or maybe I'm just noticing it more now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Right, because it's it feels cliche and old fashioned. Yeah, and so we try to move away from it in our stories, but mm -hmm. we don't move away from it in our gameplay, and then right. that, that ends up being a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. That ludo narrative dissonance. There you go. That cursed term. <laughs> <laughs> in a world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that could be your entire transition <laughs> if you're if you're happy with it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're talking about game trailers. Yeah. Um, this is something that I think it's been on my mind lately because we're mm -hmm. you know we're gearing up to launch Widget Satchel, um, and uh, you know every year you see dozens of these things. Right. And I think when you're trying to sort of dissect them, you realize they're much more interesting and more complicated than uh, you expect. Right. Um, but uh, basically, so you know, what is the point of a game trailer? It's promotion, mm -hmm. right? Um, so people know what your game is about. Yeah, and I, this is not a secret to anybody. We're not revealing anything new here. Um, but there's definitely a difference in terms of the type of game you have. So AAA games, the, their trailers are very much like movie trailers. Yeah. Um, in that they're mass market products. The, it's part of a larger marketing campaign. Uh, for indie games, um, it, it does... It, it's much more, it does a job. Yeah. Right? It, it's, not, um, it's not part of a big campaign. A lot of times it needs to, 
it might be the only thing people see, right? And so every everything you make in promotion for your game, if you're indie, might be the only thing someone sees. Yeah. And so um, one of the things I saw recently on Twitter was a great thread about how um, too often uh, indie developers try to use a lot of the, the marketing tricks from AAA or from other pop culture yeah. to to sell their projects, mm-hmm. and that ends up not working because it doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same cachet. It doesn't have the same level of trust in the consu- from the consumer. Right. It's almost always going to be new to them. So you have to you have a lot more to prove. Mm-hmm. And so um, the biggest thing is this idea of mystery. Yeah. So there's a couple of different types of game trailers. And the first one is like a teaser trailer or a reveal trailer. Mm-hmm. Where you, you're watching this thing and you have no idea what it is. Right. And then suddenly you have a sort of an idea what it is. And then there's a title. Mm-hmm. And if it was one that you were expecting, it's a sequel to a series you already knew. Or from a creator or a studio or a publisher that you're familiar with. Then it can be really interesting. Like, what is that? Like, let's talk about it. What could it yeah. possibly be? Yeah. Like, Death Stranding went on for years without telling anybody anything, uh-huh. despite its copious amounts of material. Uh-huh. And that's because mystery works, right? Yeah. It gets you excited, it gets you interesting. But if you're an indie developer, it's not going to work you for can't, you. Yeah, you can't do that because, like, you, no one has heard of you, so there's no reason to be interested in this random thing. Yeah. You're already like that mystery. <laughs> right. It's you like being the game is a mystery. Yeah. You're the mystery, not right. the game. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you see, like, like, what is this? Eh, whatever. Like, right, yeah. That tends to be the reaction. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very important. So when you think of the types of trailers, it's going to be different from what you're familiar with as a consumer of this kind of media. Yeah. Because even indie developers, like, we're all indie developers. We play lots of indie games. We actually, we are still more familiar with the bigger projects. And that mm-hmm. much more informs how we do our own work than we really want it to or expect it to. Yeah. Or we'll even admit to ourselves that it does. So yeah. it's sort of in- important to remind yourself over and over that. Like, no, it has, it has a different job. It works a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, for yeah, reveal trailers, you know, it's not, just don't do them. Like, if you're an indie developer. Yeah. Like, um, just, like, I think a lot of, I think the best way to have, I mean, we'll get into it later, too. Yeah. But, like, I think the best way to do an indie trailer is to just, like, have really cool f- gameplay footage right away Link, uh, hit, hook them right away mm-hmm. and then like tell them maybe potential release date could just yes. be 2019 right that so you're talking about an announcement trailer yeah and you know these are all just phrases like they are <laughs> some of it's interchangeable people use them they're not an official term right but an announcement trailer is basically that it's mm-hmm. like it explains what the game is and it tells you everything you need to know now about it right so if a game is not out yet if it's in development then you wanted to give it a website a discord link um, you know a call to action so yeah call to action it's a that's the really important part is like um, there's types of advertisement that just is awareness so you see a billboard that says coca-cola right all that does is tell you about coca-cola that it's a thing that exists mm-hmm. you probably already know what it is or like maybe you see the bottle of soda if it's maybe a brand you're not familiar with or something mm-hmm. you you know it's there yeah it doesn't ask you to do anything. Right. Right. And so um, that's good. There's, there's useful uh, types of advertising that works that way, but it needs to be in high volume. You need to saturate people with it so that the next time they think, oh, I'd like something to drink. Oh, I'm familiar with this thing because I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. I'll try that. Yeah. Um, but, and that's effective advertising because it's not asking you to do something. It's just enticing you to do it. Mm-hmm. You cannot afford to do that as an indie developer. Not unless you've got millions of dollars. In so what that means is you can have an incredible, amazing announcement trailer. Mm-hmm. And then if you just put the title, at the end, and that's it. Yeah, people are going to be like, "Okay, great, look, cool looking trailer. I love it. I, I can't wait for it to come out." Mm-hmm. And then they'll never hear about it again. Yeah. And then you know they're like, "I'm going to buy some games, and maybe they even see it in a list." But like at that point, it's already they haven't been asked to do anything about it. Yeah. So you want to yeah you want to put like a Discord link in, in there or something or you know a, a website or so like go here and download the demo or like something give them something or a release date. Right. Um, if you don't you know if you don't have a lot of marketing push, you don't have a lot of resources, you can't maintain a Discord. You don't have a website. You just have like a Steam wishlist page. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you want wishlists up and running so that yeah. people can actually wishlist your game. That's another Good. topic altogether. Yeah. But you, uh, that's a call to action. Do something with this information right. is what you should be telling people yeah. to watch it so that they can do something with the information. Right. And if all that is, is like save this date for later, mm-hmm. then that's, if that's all you can do, then do that. Yeah. That's definitely better it's than something. Nothing. Yep. Yeah. So, Okay. The other thing you want to do is, um, and this is, you work with your announcement trailer, but other types of trailers, like game gameplay trailers, yes, that are explicitly and announcement trailers for indie games tend to also be gameplay trailers. Yeah, but basically you want something that shows off your gameplay. Yeah, you don't need a ton. A concept art is great. Cutscenes are great. All that stuff is great, but gameplay is what sells your game, especially as an indie title. Mm-hmm. So you want to show what it's like to play the game and what you know what it feels like to have power to have <laughs> the power, like to to show off like. Uh, you know how you will feel playing this game. Yeah, like is this going to be a somber? Is this going to horror game? You want to turn off the lights? Like then show off gameplay that 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 does that. Don't show off your intro scene where everything's cool and nothing's gone to hell yet. Right. You know, like 
you want to tell a lot of people, the instinct I think is to is to tell a narrative like like a like a trailer for a movie. Yeah. Like here's the setting. Here's the character. What kind of trouble are they going to get into? Oh man, here's the trouble. How are they going to solve it? <laughs> mm. You know, this fall. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, it doesn't. I don't think that's as effective um, because people aren't. They're not going to take that trip with you. Mm-hmm. They want to see like, what kind of game is this? What will I have playing it? And the rest of the stuff they can they can figure out later. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say you shouldn't put some of that stuff in there, but you should really be focusing on gameplay mm-hmm. because that's what people are going to buy. And I think Steam is sort of to blame for a lot of this sort of like this rudimentary view. That people have of games, the the you know this first couple seconds on a Steam page when you're browsing through, if you don't see something interesting, not just interesting, but something interesting that you are going to be doing when you yeah. play it, yeah. then you're going to just hit next. Yeah, and you know that's a reality, and it's probably a good thing that people are designing them that way. But a lot of the systems we have to view this content are responsible for that being the case. Yeah, people don't have the patience for this kind of stuff. Right. Um, you have a you know you put on Twitter, here's a YouTube uh, link to my you know to my uh, trailer. Then you got it. They have to click it. Yep. Then they have to suffer through the first twenty seconds before it gets to gameplay. Yep. Like you're probably not going to get that sale. Yeah. Um, and only a fraction of people are going to make it that far anyway. So you want to, if you can get those eyeballs, you got to make the most. Got to keep those eyeballs. And that that's talking about length. Like, oh man. Keep yes. these keep these things short. They got to be a yeah. minute or less. <laughs> and that even that is pushing it. Yeah. Like thirty seconds is great. <laughs> thirty seconds is great. Frankly, okay. So I'm, I'm about to do a little bit of rant. I don't know. Frankly, when I go to a store page or whatever, I skip the trailers completely because like screenshots are really simple. You can just go and look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you have a really engaging trailer right away, I'll be like, oh, snap, I want to look at this thing and I'll watch the trailer and I'll be excited about it. So you need to be able to get Steven's attention <laughs> <laughs> and you need to be able to do it in a short period of time. Yeah, I'm only going to give you a few seconds. <laughs> Well, that's why on itch it's perfect because they have little gifts. When you roll, scroll over one of the games mm, on your right, yeah. thing, it will show the little gif running. And if it doesn't have that, it's really hard to tell what the game is. But it's right. really clear to see, like, oh, look, it's jumping and doing the thing, and oh, yeah. that looks cool. Yeah. I'll click it. Right. Yeah, you have no idea how much trouble it is for people to click a play button and wait two seconds for it to load. Yeah. Like you have no idea the burden that places on people. Yeah. Because it's not that that's actually that hard to do. Mm. It's that my ability to wait for that is weighted against how excited I already am about this game. Right. And if it's not that much, then it needs to, like having those GIFs on that page, that is going to be a lot easier to get me a little bit more excited because I'm, I'm ready to jump off that train at any time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was interested enough because, I don't know, your art looked really cool. So I'm going to click your link. But I need to know more about the game in a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, and so the description needs to be great or, or you know, the screenshots need to be great. But the trailer, you know, if you want me to watch the trailer the whole time. If I watch the trailer the whole time, you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> great. So please send me trailers so I can judge them. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> And this is another nice thing. game, Cyclops. <laughs> you know what? Actually, we really should put a lot of this to the Steven test. Oh boy, yeah. If you've got your game trailer, uh-huh. like you haven't launched it yet, yeah. or you've put it out and you don't know why it's not getting a lot of engagement, or you're really proud of it and you think it's doing great, yeah. put it to the Steven <laughs> test. Yes. Send it our way at Nice Games Club. <laughs> yes. Contact at NiceGames.club. We'll put it to the Steven test. <laughs> yes, I will look at it and we'll see whether or not I watch it. We'll the see whole how thing. many seconds. Before <laughs> <laughs> we have eye trackers here in this office, so That's we true. can determine whether or not I'm bored. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh, okay. Limited is- to the first uh, however many participants. No, no, no. <laughs> Un- indefinite offer. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'm committing to that. I guess. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Frank, for committing me to that. Uh huh. Anytime. <laughs> so that that does bring me a little bit to something else that is a convention from. Uh, other types of marketing yeah. is the show don't tell. Oh yeah. Now the actual truth is sometimes you want to tell. Yeah. Sometimes and you have to tell. I think people. for games especially this is very difficult because uh, games are an interactive medium. If you see a, a, a if you see that the best moment in your gameplay is when a character takes that leap off the cliff yeah. and they have to dodge a bunch of things on their way to to successfully land uh, you know in an area so they can get on the boat and like that's a really exciting scene in your game. Yeah. In video that looks kind of cool, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel anywhere as good as playing it. Right. And so if you choose that moment for your, your trailer, you, when you watch the trailer personally, you're like, oh, I, I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. But the person who's not played this game before actually doesn't know that feeling. And so the, it's right. not as powerful a moment as you think. Yeah. So sometimes you actually just have to throw text on screen. Like yeah. it seems really terrible and it seems like go against all the rules for other types of media. 
but it in fact can be really con- uh, uh, useful because um, especially if you're selling your game on aesthetics mm-hmm. um, and that's a big part of what uh, your game looks like you like is this a Metroidvania? Is it a, a, a puzzle platformer? Right. Is it a skill-based platformer? Yeah. Sometimes even a most detailed gameplay, uh, even with like a bunch of like UI elements and like you, go, you have a shot of the HUD and like the menu, like, it's like players aren't going to understand fully what your game is. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to tell them. Yeah. An yeah. action RPG set in you know this world or whatever. Like you just got to say so. It seems so wrong, but sometimes you got to do it. Yeah, because like a lot of times, if you uh, just uh, if you just throw them into this thing, it, you, it's unclear whether or not this thing is gameplay or is a cutscene or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not clear how you're supposed to uh, you know explore the game at that point. So yeah, yeah if you tell if you just say like uh, if your game is all about manipulating time, say like manipulate time, and then show someone manipulating time, then the then the person watching will go, oh, I get to manipulate time in this game or something. Yeah. This is particularly difficult for RPGs because you have like attack animations. Even in like turn-based RPGs, I watch that and it feels more like an action game, even though I see all the the, the UI elements of a, of an RPG, a turn-based system. Yeah, I'm not. Especially, I'm not paying a lot of attention. I'm not actually going to know how that works. And like, what type? You know, so you, the gameplay that you are promoting with your with your game, if it doesn't come off clearly in video alone, then you have to come up with a way to explain that. And sometimes that means staging screenshots and clips in a way that are not true to the game. You can remove a couple of HUD elements to only highlight the thing that this clip is about. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, your, ga- your gamers are not going to get upset that, you know, the little, the HUD element was on the left and not the right. It's not a breaking yeah. your promise of what this game is. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you might want to make specific trailer builds so that you can capture certain, it's really complicated, guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of different, yeah. And, you know, I think the key is that it's anything you think you want to show um, once you think you've done it, uh, you're like a third of the way there. Mm. And I think that as long as you know that, then you can figure out exactly how to solve that problem on your own. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're all different problems. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, a couple of the things, um, just stuff you wouldn't necessarily think to do until you're making one of these mm-hmm. is like music. Yeah. Um, you know, you're like, oh, I got music for my game. I'll just put it in the trailer. Right. <laughs> Not always going to help that you. It doesn't always work. Uh-huh. I was, I learned that about movie trailers when uh, I was in, college and i met this guy in one of my classes who was like yeah i have a job like making movie trailer music like that was his whole job Mm. and he made like music for some really famous trailers like really big movies Mm -hmm. he made the the music for them i'm like what this is a job that you can have in the dorms like zimmer (laughs) (laughs) no it was some random dude at the u of m (laughs) oh wow okay well that's that's the point is a lot of these things they're marketing efforts they're not always the music in in movies particularly Mm -hmm. it's very rarely from the soundtrack Ah, right? yeah. unless unless the soundtrack's a part of the movie like it's a big selling point of the movie um and a lot of times you'll see you'll hear like lord of the rings music in uh, movie trailers of like some political thriller because hmm. it's just good music for that yeah um so stuff gets reused but a lot of times things are just written specifically for it and you might want to do that for your trailer is yeah. uh particularly if you're close uh, with your composer and uh they owe you some favors uh, <laughs> <laughs> or you have some money um, like having something specifically for your trailer can be very useful. And yeah. so you can edit your trailer to temp music or to some music in your game and then your composer can uh, can write music to it or you could tell your composer it's this long, first 30 seconds are like this, there's like a moment of, of, of intention here and then they give you a piece of music and then you edit around that. Yeah. That is, can be a more efficient way to do it sometimes. Um, it, there's less back and forth. You just kind of accept what you get, what you got, and then cut to it. Yeah. Um, that can be a sort of a cheap way to do it. Um, but yeah, and that's going to be true for for like I was saying with um, you know, certain things like your build. You might want to make specifically for um for your trailer, and that means you're going to want to have other materials for for your trailer as well. Sometimes you need resolution, uh, high resolution assets that are higher than what your game provides. Right. Um, to show off like in a close up or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't always help to see trailers that zoom in on the main character, and they're. A, pixelated mess yeah. uh, because you never see them that close in the game. Mm-hmm. So two ways to handle that. One, new art yeah. um, or show off that moment in another way either with concept art or animation yeah. that is either yeah. specifically for the trailer or from some other part of the game or um, to just not sh- not zoom in on that character. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, you, sometimes you feel like you want to like showcase an, an important moment but you could do that with vignetting. You could do that by changing the scene in that build to high, to like remove distractions from other parts of the screen. Yeah. Um, but just zooming in on a shot, you can all, you can get about thirty percent in before it starts to show that it doesn't look right. right. Um, if you if you're able and you have four K graphics for your game, uh, you might want to capture your game at four K so you can zoom in 
uh, if you're doing a 1080 trailer, there's lots of technical tips. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. A lot of this is just basically, you know, you're, you had, you've been build, developing this game and mm-hmm. it's got all these features and stuff. Use the features that you have to develop your trailer. Yes. In a way. Like, you, yeah, I guess you kind of use the design principles you use for your game in order to design your trailer. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. So, like, if it's important that this game has 4K in it, emphasize the 4K. Or if it's important that, like, the character is pixelated, then maybe don't zoom in on the character. That is a limitation of your trailer. Uh-huh. Um, so just you know, those kinds of things you can keep in mind as you develop this trailer. Yeah, and I think this is true of all marketing efforts is um, what, what is the selling point of your game, what, what, why people will continue to play it, mm-hmm. why they'll come back to it round after round, day after day, year after year, you hope, <laughs> is not what's going to sell them the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, your hook is not necessarily the same as your ultimate selling point. Yeah. And that's hard to wrap your mind around sometimes. So it's useful to get um, uh, other people to watch your trailer and yeah. then to ask them, it, what do you think it says? And if it matches what you were trying to say, you're on the right track. If they're not either getting it or they think it, something else is more exciting, you can lean into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are just general marketing tips that you've probably heard a million times before. <laughs> Doesn't mean we shouldn't emphasize them. <laughs> I know. I guess the, it really comes back to this idea that like your your project is not you you cannot follow a template. Yeah, you cannot look at how someone else did it, especially some big project, and think it's going to work for your game as well. Yeah, and you probably don't have a lot of time and money, so you don't you need to be very um uh like how effective you are in using those that that time and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be the the difference between coming up with something amazing that takes way too long. And does and does just as well as something that's pretty good and takes a third of the time. Yeah. So that those are hard choices to make. Yep. Um, but sometimes that's what we got to do because these 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 trailers have jobs. Yes. They're less a piece of art than your game is. Yeah. Right. It's very true. Um, the end. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon right, right to, to trailers. The, <laughs> we'll go right to the theme song after the end. <laughs> that's great. That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again... Remember to play nice and make nice. Okay, we'll just, I'll keep it running, but we'll. Okay, I'll be right back. And we can get over there where it's cooler. Oh, we're not going to just talk about Star Trek for like half an hour. If you want to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was okay. just making a joke. Oh, are you? Whatever. I, I'm here for it. Okay, so Picard, what yeah. are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? I'm looking forward to it. Seven of nine. That's all that matters. <laughs> I'm less excited about that because I think the nostalgia for Star Trek in this in the, is more for TNG and Voyager. And I'm, I want more DS9. And... Right. Well, I, they should have some sort of DS9 person in there. I suppose so. But if it's just about Picard and Seven fighting the Borg, I'm like, I'm already sick of that. Like, That's true. But you know. Seven of Nine is there and she's not in a cat suit. It's I know. like a whole new revelation. Ultimately, <laughs> I'm kind of excited. It redeems the character a little bit. Yeah. Like, is, uh, she's got her hair down. And there's a great interview where she talks about like finding the voice because she couldn't do it without that stilted voice. Uh, even as the character grew and changed uh, on Voyager, uh, the actor had it. She would like embody that and that included the voice and she just couldn't figure out how to not do that and still be the character and so um that was uh, the interview was really interesting oh i want to i want to see that yeah and it's it'll be really interesting because because jerry ryan's a great actor so like it'll be really cool to see her do something the same but different so i'm excited about that i was never i never loved voyager i don't really like that character that much but i'm I'm still excited about it i just don't want it to be a lot of the same it's going to be nostalgic you know it's going to like play on a lot of those fan service buttons and i'm okay with that but I just I worry like oh wait it might not be the type of fan I am yeah you know yeah I mean it I'm prepared to not like it but <laughs> just as long as they don't kill off Janeway like the stupid the books Picard novels did yeah Ugh. literally <laughs> wasn't even his story to write and the guy <laughs> stupid wrote and then it caused problems for all the Voyager writers. Because they had to somehow resurrect Janeway because stupid Picard writers wrote 
killed her in their books. Yeah. Yes. Just Arthur. stupid. Yeah. You know, it's funny. People talk about like in sci-fi, <laughs> anyone who dies can come back to life. Uh, and Star Trek famously did it with Spock, but it's actually not a trope of Star Trek. Yeah. Bring back the dead. Exactly. So. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> well, that's what we talked about while Stephen was out yeah. <laughs> for a second to get our guests for next week's episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have honestly have no idea where I was, but I feel like we had, there was a good stopping point there, probably. Uh, uh, Martha, you'll have to find it because this is your episode edit. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.